0: So it's a hot day in 1916, near the capital of Wisconsin, Madison. The editor and publisher of the Wisconsin State Journal, Richard Lloyd-Jones, is dressed in all whites, a suit, white bow tie, and he's got his hair perfectly parted down the middle. And Jones is behind his desk. He's going over the next day's newspaper. There's no question what the lead will be another threat to the sanctity of democracy by the German war machine. Now this isn't Nazi Germany, this is the Kaiser's Germany. And this guy, Richard Lloyd-Jones, he's kind of a celebrity. His father is a famous pacifist preacher and one of his best friends is Senator Bob La Follette. Fightin' Bob, as he's known. Now, La Follette is also from Wisconsin and, like Jones, a Republican. But he's a progressive Republican, more closely allied with the Socialist Party than the Democrats or the Republicans. Picture Bernie Sanders and you more or less get the idea about Bob La Follette. He's completely against the war, while his friend, Jones, is lobbying President Woodrow Wilson to get involved. Now, Richard Lloyd-Jones calls his old friend La Follette a damn red. Fellow Republican Teddy Roosevelt calls La Follette a skunk who ought to be hanged. The first red scare ensues and the Bolsheviks triumph. La Follette supports the Bolsheviks. Jones calls for total mobilization for war. He even supports a war propaganda machine that will include censorship Intimidation and imprisonment for those who don't support the American entry into World War I. Now, the rest, however, is not history because despite the incredible odds, La Follette fights back. He retains his Senate seat and he sends a delegation of these quasi socialist Republicans to the National Convention. But his former friend, Richard Lloyd Jones, he's furious. He just can't take it in Wisconsin anymore. So he roams the country, and he's writing for Collier's Weekly, pontificating on the righteousness of prohibition and the evils of race mixing. Now at this time, Jones might be as famous as his first cousin, who I'm sure you've heard of, the architect Frank Lloyd Wright. But Jones has no power. He's essentially a famous talking head. But then he arrives in Oklahoma in 1919. He settles down in the oil boom town of Tulsa, a place that proclaims itself as the oil capital of the world. And not without reason. Jones starts his second act in American life. And this second act, it will become one of the darkest hours in American history so dark that generations of Oklahomans and generations of Tulsans like myself, who grew up right in the midst of it, would sweep the entire thing under the rug. Today, I talk about what happened during the second act of Richard Lloyd-Jones in Oklahoma and why it remains such a painful episode in American history. It's on History X the show about what they didn't teach you in school. History X, it's not like those other history shows. X is an unknown variable. We don't have solutions, but wow, we have stories. And today, no apology. Stay right there.
1: Yeah. What's, what's shaking?
0: You know, not a whole lot. It's uh pretty mellow. Quarantine life. Life, life. uh, Quarantine life is pretty mellow for me. All my, all my disturbances are on social media. (laughs) Aren't they all? Real, real life is pretty nice.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I feel that. Yeah, I, uh, I feel like my brain's being even more poisoned than it normally is. Uh, My name is Jesse Gray. I'm a writer and editor uh, living in Oklahoma City currently.
0: I thought we could talk about this crazy story of Richard Lloyd Jones um, at the top of the show. I was talking about how Jones was this weird figure because he was friends with Robert La Follette, who was like the widely acknowledged as like the Bernie Sanders of his day. They had this huge falling out um, La Follette became this quasi socialist pacifist opposed to world war one and held on to his senate seat richard lloyd jones was like well to hell with this place you know there's a bunch of reds living in wisconsin i'm going to find somewhere else to live and boom 1919 winds up in tulsa oklahoma which had just proclaimed itself as the oil capital of the world um so what did you know, if you go back to, you know, like when we first discussed that piece, like you, you were living in Tulsa, you used to be the editor of, um, of a newspaper there. Um, what did you know about Richard
1: Lloyd-Jones? Yeah, well, it's funny because, you know, I think it's first you know, important to establish sort of the circumstances of my editorship, uh, which were pretty unusual in that, I you know, I'm not only am I not a Tulsa native, but, but I had really only been um, to Tulsa a handful of times in my life. Uh, I, I'm a fourth generation Oklahoman, but people are from Southern Oklahoma. Um, and so Tulsa was always sort of this kind of question mark to me um, as the second largest city in the state, but not somewhere that I had this sort of intimate familiarity. Um, and so, you know, I moved to Tulsa for this job as the editor of, of the Alt Paper there, um, which is a pretty you know, incredible way to, to learn the city. Um, and so all that to say, you know, I didn't come to town necessarily knowing who these sort of sacred cows were, uh, which I think gave me some freedom as an editor. Um, you know, I, I didn't sort of have that same, uh, you know, there weren't names that scared me other than George <laughs> Kaiser, you know, I knew that one right off the bat. <laughs> and so you come to me with this story about this guy, Richard Lloyd-Jones, who, you know, at the time, I basically I knew about the airport uh, named after his son, um, and and knew generally that he was this you know media guy in Tulsa back in the day, um, but really my education came through working this story out with you. Um, but right off the bat, I remember you told me uh, like look, look you know I've got this story, but people aren't going to like it. <laughs> you know it's going kind to of ruffle some feathers. And, you know, as, as a young editor, um, you know, you basically couldn't have whet my appetite uh, any more sufficiently than that. You know, I was ready to sort of see what we could find here and see what, uh, uh, what this story could really bring out in terms of a new uh, understanding of, of the race massacre. So all that to say, I'm this, uh, someone who's sort of learning who these people are, learning the major players of Tulsa history, you know, through journalism and through uh, this kind of reporting. And um, it's funny, the more that I learned about him, the more I knew, you know, found out that he was you know, not just uh, a former newspaper editor, but that he sat on all these national boards and you know, um, had such an influence, uh, not only in the media sphere regionally and nationally, but his roots within the Republican Party nationally. Um, you know, I, I didn't know how deep those were until we started working this out. And so, in a way, this story really sort of unfolded before my eyes as an editor, um, which is a real, you know, a real joy from a professional standpoint. Um, but as that process went on, I found myself becoming more and more nervous, right? Because we're taking on this, uh, this media dynasty, really, because it's not just Richard Boyd it's three generations of Joneses who have established um, you know, this, this media empire in Tulsa. As we go deeper and deeper into Jones' involvement um, in inciting, you know, the worst episode of racial violence, you know, arguably in American history that we know of. Um, you know, I'm starting to sweat a little bit.
0: The reason Jesse is starting to sweat a little bit, well, he's taking on one of the most hallowed names in the local media business. And it's not just ancient history. The descendants of Richard Lloyd-Jones are still around, and they still wield considerable power and influence. And they don't want their ancestor's name being dragged through the mud. But if we're going to be serious about examining why the Tulsa Race Massacre was so deadly and so destructive, even by the standards of the repressive Jim Crow South, we have to look at Jones's paper. It created the environment for destruction. More on that in a minute. You're listening to History X on the mighty, mighty CGSR 88.5 in Edmonton. Fearless, independent. I'm Russell Cobb, your host. History X is a show about the repressed, the suppressed, and forgotten episodes of history. It's what they didn't teach you in school. Now back to my interview with former editor of the Tulsa Voice, Jesse Gray.
1: When you go into the sort of stories the Tribune uh, was was putting in front of readers um, before the, the the Roland story um, you know most chillingly you know when he writes about this community awakening that's going to rise up in response to the to the criminality in Tulsa the, the criminal element and corruption you know which is race mixing right and the fact that you know he used this paper um, frequently, it seems, as a bludgeon against uh, those ideas of racial equality that were being, you know, that were taking root thanks to organizations like the NAACP. Um, you know, I guess that, that really did surprise me, you know, that, that this was not a, this was a long-running pattern of blatant white supremacy and right. you know, on, on the front page of the newspaper, and it's incredible that that was every afternoon. That's what Tulsa
0: read. Uh, May fifteenth, there was an item about a Gil- Gilbert Urge, who was arrested for riding a white street car, and uh, the headline was, "Thought he owned the car."
1: Thought he owned the car, yeah.
0: And then there was a committee. And I guess it must have sold a lot of copies because shortly after that, they put together a committee and so that formed like this backbone for this like investigative article where they went to every hotel and rooming house in Greenwood and found, quote, they found whites and Negroes singing and dancing together. Jazz was being played. Uh, Choctaw beer, chalk beer was being served um and this was this was considered just intolerable and that that one that um headline or that article about all this pernicious race mixing um was on may twenty first and it was a little over a week after that that the the massacre was on so it kind of makes me wonder how much of how much of what went down was. Uh, provoked by the media or simply was that just simply one piece of the puzzle was this is something I'm haunted by you know like was it was it Richard Lloyd Jones um, that was the most proximate factor for creating that horrible incident of racial violence or was he merely just one character in a cast of people in a tinderbox of oil oil money white supremacy and black mobility
1: yeah i think you know it's probably uh you know maddeningly uh, all of those things right Mm -hmm. and i think to me that's the real value of this story is sort of um showing a new layer of institutional culpability Mm -hmm. um, because I think that's something that's really significant to understand about the race massacre. And I think it's something that as we, uh, as the picture of what happened in Greenwood comes into clearer and clearer view, you know, we learn more and more about you know, the institutions that enabled it to happen. You know, it's, it wasn't just this sort of random mob of, of white people, they were deputized. And, you know, so it's, it's not just the citizenry and it's not just the local police, it's the military. And then now with this new layer, we see, you know, the uh, yet another piece of that institutional um, enabling of this horrific episode of mass violence.
0: That was Jesse Gray, the former editor of the Tulsa Voice. The most read story in that newspaper last year was the story of Richard Lloyd-Jones. Jones was the editor and publisher of the Tulsa Tribune. And on May 30th, 1921, Jones's newspaper published a story about an attempted rape of a white woman by a black man in a downtown Tulsa elevator. Although the charges had no substance, the mere suggestion of a black man attacking a white woman was enough to mobilize thousands of white invaders for a full-fledged assault on the black district of Tulsa. The resulting violence left 36 square blocks of the city burned to the ground. Airplanes dropped incendiary devices on houses. Some residents were murdered on their front porches. White looters stole black property, and then all the black residents, close to 10,000 people, were rounded up and interned. When it was all over, Tulsa had become the site for the single worst incident of racist violence in American history. And the newspaperman Richard Lloyd-Jones, who had done so much to foster an environment of hatred, well, he wasn't done. He vowed that Greenwood, the black district, would never rebuild again. Then the entire episode disappeared. All mention of it was swept under the rug, and by the time I grew up there... No one ever spoke of what happened in the spring of 1921. This is History X, the show about the history they didn't teach you in school. I'm your host, Russell Cobb. If you're interested in true stories involving crime, corruption and mistaken identity, please be sure to check out my book, The Great Oklahoma Swindle, Race, Religion and Lies in America's Weirdest State from Bison Books. That's the Great Oklahoma Swindle by Russell Cobb. Now, back to the show. My mama don't tell me to But I wasn't the only one to grow up in the shadows of this event without knowing anything about it. My next guest, Nehemiah Frank, had ancestors who owned businesses in Greenwood. His roots were firmly planted in North Tulsa. And yet he too didn't know about the Tulsa race massacre of 1921. But all of that has changed. Frank is now the editor of the Black Wall Street Times, a publication named for the nickname of Tulsa's black community in the early 20th century. He's become a prominent activist and educator. You're listening to History X, the show about what they didn't teach you in school. I'm Russell Cobb, and we're broadcasting from the mighty, mighty CJSR 88.5 in Edmonton. Stay right there.
2: Yeah, so I'm sitting in a church and um, near the center pew. I might have even been sitting like on the edge um, of this pew. And I think I was probably like seven rows from the from the front. Mm-hmm. And um, Dr. Uh, Jeremiah Wright is up there preaching. And um, it just seemed like a regular sermon. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was actually the guest speaker that Sunday. Um, what was the church? Uh, Trinity United Church of Christ. It was the church that the Obamas you know, attended. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, you know, he mentions the worst massacre in U.S. history the Tulsa race riot mm-hmm. and when he said Tulsa I was like wait a second I'm from there you know mm-hmm. he talked about um, you know the black excellence and how they were just two you know generations out of slavery and they built this you know black mecca of economic power um, and the shadows of Jim Crow mm-hmm. and then he said you know, he told the narrative of how it was burnt down mm-hmm. and destroyed, you know, within a day. And I was like, man, I didn't even realize that all of that happened in my in my town, in my hometown. And I remember growing up, my grandfather kind of mentioning there was a fire here and, you know, the Klan, but never... In, in detail never in graphic detail you know such that you know not the way that Jeremiah Wright told it but at that point in time I got it I was like man I need to go back home and the crazy thing is, is that he was preaching out of the book of Nehemiah too so whenever he would say nehemiah or turn to Nehemiah 2911 or whatever, The whole, like, some of the people that knew that my name was Neymar, they would, like, (laughs) look at me, and I was, like, whoa, this is, like, the, it was, like, (laughs) tunnel vision. It was, like, he was almost talking to me, and he was talking about the great excellence of the Black Wall Street, you know, and little, you know, did I know within a few years that I would be running the Black Wall Street Times and, you know, fighting, you know, you know, um, the political oppression with the pen. Mm -hmm. never saw it coming you know that was one of the reasons why I also came back and then I tried to stay out of the community politics like um, I was coaching gymnastics and going to school and that was it my mom was born here a lot of my aunts and uncles were born here Um, on my dad's side everybody Mm -hmm. was born here um, from 1900 and up Okay. So um, I have relatives that were in, you know, the black townships around here. And then I had um, the Joneses um, on my dad's side. They were here. And I think that they were probably here during the massacre because of their ages. They were born in Tulsa. It says it on their birth certificates. Mm -hmm. Um, And I never heard the story of like, you know, what kind of trauma they experienced during that time. Oh, like, yeah. they actually had integrated, um, you know, societies before 1907 huh. in Tulsa. Yeah. Like, some black kids and white kids were going to school before 1907. 1907. And then once 1907 hits, it's like, you know, they just start dividing people. Yeah. Do you know what Senate Bill Sad. number one was? Yeah. Yeah. The law of segregation in the state. That's number one. Yeah. That's the first order of business. The state was, this territory was on the, uh, the cusp of being uh, progressive. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, you know, absolutely. I honestly think that Oklahoma is a was a stronghold for Confederate sympathizers. Mm-hmm. I really do.
0: It, this the the whole history of the black experience, the Native American experience, all that is just sort of swept under yeah. the rug. Yeah. How do you feel now? It seems like it's shifting in terms of the youth. Mm-hmm. Do you, how is that? Am I right? Did, did yeah, like that?
2: people there. I uh-huh. mean, there are people pushing for that. Uh-huh. But I don't know if it's enough. Uh-huh. Like when um, the Tulsa public schools had their um, Tulsa race riot training for the teachers, there was only like 50 teachers in there. 50? Hmm. Right. And so, um, and a lot of them were really still like uninformed about what really took place. Mm-hmm. And... Um, just delivering it I think it's going to be a problem right you know because there just hasn't been enough interaction between the races there just hasn't been you know people don't want to talk about it but that's oh absolutely I mean everyone goes back to their side of town at the end of the night and then you might have a few sprinkles of folks living here and there you know but that's not enough to really it's you know learn about each other I never realized how powerful the name Black Wall Street actually was until I started it, started the Black Wall Street Times. Um, And since then, you know, this thing is blown up so fast that it's, You know, at times, it it stressed me out, or it stresses me out at some, you know, certain points. Well, it stressed me out a lot when I didn't have help. But now that we have, you know, multiple writers, it's definitely a lot easier to manage. Um, And uh, I realized how much of a weapon Mm -hmm. it could be. I wrote a piece about... um, how Terrence Crutcher seemed to be the person that was on trial. Yeah, you're
0: talking about
2: that. You know, mm-hmm. when Betty Shelby was the person that was on trial, um, I'm like, the man is six feet underground for a year, and how is he, how is he even on trial? Um, the character assassination of him and even his family to an extent was, you know, something that burned me up. I remember um, I grabbed a glass. Um, or I had a glass in my hand, and I threw it. I don't remember if I told you that. And I was yeah. so mad, and I threw the glass at the wall, and, I sh- and it just shattered. Where were you? Uh, I was at my house. Oh. Yeah. And so I was like, man, I can't even believe I just did that. I was like, maybe I need to take my energy out on a, on a post, you know? Uh-huh. So I wrote this opinion piece about how I thought that Terrence Crutcher was on trial. Uh-huh. And... um went to school the next day, I'm teaching my kids and suddenly my phone just starts blowing up. Uh I never answer my phone. Then the next thing you know, the principal comes into the classroom Uh and says, uh, Dr. Tiffany Crutcher is trying to get in touch with you and they want you to do a press conference at the courthouse. And I'm like, I'm teaching and this is crazy. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, but I guess people were reading the Black Wall Street Times. So, um, I left my classroom. Someone went in there and subbed, and I gave a, com- a press conference. And my, I remember my dad calling me, um, saying, I just saw you on national television, you know, talking about the Crutcher trial. Wow! And um, I was like, this is insane. I remember, like, I wasn't a public speaker. I wasn't a writer. You know, um, I think I'm definitely better now than I was a year or two years ago. Um, but... I was just someone that, someone with an opinion, you know, at that point in time. I didn't even realize what the Black Wall Street Times was. It was just a blog to me at that time. Um, but I remember, um, you know, the media attention after that. I remember Dr. Kretschel saying, you know, can you do this press conference? Can you go in front of these cameras and talk about your article? And I was like, okay. Um, and uh, she was like, you're going to go first. Like, you're going to be the first person to talk out of everyone that's speaking. And I was just like, oh, my God. It was the scariest moment of my life. Um, and then after that. Where were you? were down at, at the Yeah, course. I was at the courthouse. This and course. there just, like, cameras everywhere. It was, there was so much attention. It was insane. Uh-huh. I didn't even it's know. It's yeah, it's story. national. And I knew it, you know. And I was like, I better get my together and uh-huh. figure this out I think I did a terrible job <laughs> I really do Do you remember what you said I don't I really don't I just I think I definitely remember just saying that um, I've been I attend some of the um, some of the uh, court um, um, room sessions and I think that Terrence Crutcher is you know being um, assassinated you know, by his char- his character is being assassinated, mm-hmm. and um, it seems like he's on trial more so than Betty Shelby is. I I feel like I can't even predict what's going to happen. I really don't. I mean, the way that I see the Black Wall Street Times is, is that this thing is so valuable to my community, and you know, it's a way to like protect us. It's a um, a push button for help. You know, to the nation to say we're hurting. There's still you know oppressing us and we need help (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. please take this story to the next level
0: that was the founder and editor-in-chief of the black wall street times nehemiah frank we talked in august 2018 before the Tulsa race massacre became a central event in the North American media. First came the HBO series Watchmen, set in an alternate reality in which the survivors of the race massacre receive reparations for the destruction and murder. In reality, no one was ever convicted and no reparations were ever paid. And then most recently came Donald Trump's decision to relaunch his 2020 campaign in Tulsa only a few blocks from where the massacre took place. A lot of people worried that the influx of white nationalists and heated rhetoric could set the stage for a repeat of 1921. The rally, however, fizzled and Greenwood celebrated. The Central Avenue was painted Black Lives Matter. Tulsa, like many other cities, had been reassessing its past. An entire district named for a Klansman has been renamed. But Richard Lloyd-Jones, the editor that printed the story that launched the invasion, he remains in the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. You've been listening to History X on CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton, fiercely independent community radio. History X tells you the stories you didn't learn in school. I'm your host Russell Cobb you can follow me on Twitter at scissortail74 or just send me an old-fashioned email to rcobb at ualberta.ca especially if you have leads or ideas for other stories from forgotten histories special thanks this episode to Jesse Gray and Nehemiah Frank history X where the past isn't dead it isn't even past